Well, are you awake now? Well, uh, it's great to be back. Uh, I almost say, well, it's great to be home, but uh, actually home is wherever you put your head down, and that's the United States today. But uh, about half of you I remember. So uh, some of you obviously don't uh, probably recall the Bates family. As Pastor David said, we came from Perth, Western Australia originally to work full-time with Creation Ministries International here uh, in Brisbane, and we fellowshiped uh, in the church here for about 10 years. Can you believe that, folks? Yeah, the Bates were here for about 10 years. I know it seemed like 20, didn't it? But anyway. And, uh, you know, we got asked to uh, move to the US to head up the work of uh, CMI in Atlanta, Georgia, where we had a fledgling office. And uh, I confess to you this morning, I actually resisted that for quite a while. Uh, one of the reasons is uh, our four children, uh, three of them are beautiful, blonde-haired Aussie Sheilas, and I know what Americans uh, like about Australians. Uh, we get treated very well in the States because we're Australian. And I thought, you know what will happen? We'll move to the US and uh, some American guy will pick up my, one of my daughters, maybe two of them or who knows whatever, and they'll get married and I'll end up having American grandkids and I'll never be able to come back to Australia. Well, guess what happened? Two weeks after we moved there, our eldest daughter, Christy, got invited out by a very, very nice young Christian man and she's married now. So there we go. So uh, be careful what you're frightened of. But, you know, we've, in our journey from Perth to here and to the US, uh, what we've found is we've learnt to trust God. It's not something I do very, very easily, uh, is trust other people or even trust God. Uh, we, I tend to be a very, very self-sufficient type person. But I just want to share that with you this morning to help encourage you, for those who are thinking about being involved in ministry, even helping here in the church, you can't outgive God. We have had some amazing experiences. We got in at 3 a.m. in the morning, by the way. Uh, poor old Don Batten was waiting for us. And uh, we had about two hours sleep. And we came from Singapore. And we've just had an incredible week of ministry over there, ministering to the churches in Singapore. I mean, it's an adventure, an absolute adventure. And I think how I came to be involved in this ministry, and that's the heart of my message this morning, because I grew up, really kind of an agnostic and I wrestled with the idea of really whether there was a God or not and I was certainly an ardent evolutionist. I mean, that's what I was taught at school. That was the mainstream scientific view, so I accepted that and it was one of the reasons I, I used to reject the Christian faith. And one of the major issues for me uh, is what I'm going to address today and I still believe that it's still a major issue for the non-believers out there and you know what? Even I've found the majority of Christians, because as we minister all over the church in the United States, this is the most asked question that comes up. And that is, if God is a God of love, why does he allow all the bad things to happen in the world? Particularly to us as Christians. You know, if he's in control, why do we get these terrible tragedies around the world? Why do our loved ones die of terrible illnesses and diseases? And, you know, one of the reasons it's, it's a subject close to my heart, it's not only one of the reasons that we rejected the Christian faith, but, you know, when we moved here, and I know many of you have shared in our grief, because back in Perth, my beautiful sister died from cancer, and then shortly after my dad. And the separation, of course, of being away from them was difficult. But, you know, when I said you can't outgive God, well, see, I was the first person to get saved in my family. <laughs> And I've seen my mum saved, I've seen my dad saved, I've seen my wife saved, I've seen my children saved. 
and I know that I'm going to see my sister and my dad again. And because they were Christians, they faced this issue head on, even though they knew uh, they were dying. And so one of the reasons this ministry exists, and I noticed when I asked that question about death and suffering, a lot of you nodded your heads. So that tells me that this is, you've confirmed that this is an issue. And it's probably one of the reasons our ministry exists. CMI is an information ministry. What does that mean? Well, we've actually got offices in seven countries now, and it's just mums and dads, ordinary folks like yourself, just giving small amounts every month that help us. We are faith-funded. And I know uh, you've had a lot of ministry in this church, and we always focus on the books and the resources, and yeah, we've, we've got them here today as well. But those resources really are our ministry. In the 22 years I've been doing this, all the testimonies we get from people coming to the Lord or having their faith renewed or their lives changed usually come about because folks like yourself grab a book or a DVD and you share it with somebody else. You share information that others haven't heard. And the reason they've never heard this information is because in this country, in America, the United Kingdom, all the Western countries, one particular view of our origins is taught. That's it. To the exclusion of all others. And, you know, I've come to discover the subject of creation, biblical creation, just like it says in the book of Genesis, is not only scientifically defensible, but it's just eminently logical. And, in fact, I'd go as far to say if we do not take that book literally, then it actually creates a problem for the very, very gospel itself. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. You know, our website now has over 34 years' worth of information in there. There's 8,500 articles on there, and it's all free. Of course, most of you know it's a very difficult web address to remember. There you go, creation.com. And increasingly, when we changed to getting that new URL a few years ago, I'd say probably about 40% of the emails we receive to our site now are from unbelievers and atheists. So we are coming up on the radar. It's a, the internet is proving a direct form of outreach. In the, in the US, when I got there, we were doing about 50 events a year. And in the two and a half years we've been there, we did, I think, 320 speaking events last year. So the ministry is growing. You know, when I talk on this death and suffering issue, have you ever noticed how you see catastrophes like that earthquake in Haiti a couple of years ago? That's the only time God makes the news. Everybody loves to come out and say, well, you know, if there's a God of love, why does he allow all these big bad things to happen? I wrote that article on our website. And I was amazed, in fact, the amount of Christians that wrote to us and said, well, God punished Haiti because they're a voodoo-worshipping nation. Well, I have a bit of a problem with that because, you know, one of my workers in the, in the CMI office in the United States, he supports a church in Haiti and the pastor was killed, the church was destroyed and over 50 people were killed in the congregation. But see, what I can know from the scriptures, what I can learn is that we live in a cursed and fallen world. Creation is marred. We should expect to see things like, um, like earthquakes, etc. Has my water disappeared? Oh, there it is. They're efficient here, aren't they? Anyway, so we write newsletters like that to deal with current events. Usually try to respond, uh, and you can use that as a method of evangelism. And outside on the tables there are some sign-up sheets, and you can sign up for our free email. It's a great way to get information. But anyway, let's focus on this subject. You know, in John 16:33, the Lord Jesus said, I have told you these things, in this world you will have trouble. There you go. We'll probably pack up the sermon now, can't we? That's it, there's the answer. You will have trouble. 
doesn't mean that as Christians, because we're saved, that things were necessarily going to get easier for us. And when we look at these problems around the world, I think I can distill it down to two types. We have these natural disasters, you know, earthquakes, tsunamis, famines, etc. And then when we look around, we go to Romans 1.20 and we use that passage to say, wow, from the invisible hint, things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. We marvel at the intricacy and the complexity of design in nature. You know, for example, if I took a, a single cell out of any of the trillions in your body and took one strand of the DNA in any of those trillions of cells and typed out the letters of information, I'd have about three billion letters of coded information, about a thousand books high. And every letter in, that in, in those thousand books has to be in exactly the right spot to tell, tell the, the cells what to build. So we can use that, but then again, when we look out, we see bad stuff, death and disease and famine. So is that a contradiction to God's word? You know, the tsunami, remember off the Indonesian coast, Boxing Day 2004, killed 250,000 people. We've recently had the, the Japanese tsunami, and I mentioned the uh, Haitian earthquake. And of course, in September 11, many people were questioning where God is. But that's what I would describe as a man-inflicted type of trouble, right? And I think that generally within those two categories, we can see natural disasters, and if you like, man's inhumanity to each other, as we saw there. I mean, God didn't do that, did he? You know, I remember watching those 9-11 events and uh, Ray Martin, I don't know if he's still around, hope not, but anyway, not on TV that is. <laughs> Wouldn't wish anything bad to happen to him. But I remember he was uh, talking to a Salvation Army counsellor, grief counsellor on the TV. And I suppose Ray couldn't resist himself and he turned around uh, to the major and he said, well, you know, you go to places like the Granville bus disaster and all this type of stuff to help people. He said, what do you, what do you say to people? You know, you're there professing God and you know, why doesn't God stop any of this? And he turned around to Ray and he said, well, Ray, he says, let me understand this. He says, are, are you sort of saying that if, if God's the creator of the universe that somehow he should be in control of all this? And he said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. And he turned around to Ray and he said, well, Ray, is God in control of your life? What an answer. And you see, that's why we see some of these terrible things. But you know what? Both of these have the same root cause. It's sin. Sin, believe it or not. See, depending on your worldview will affect the way that you interpret this. Because if we go back to Genesis, it tells us it wasn't just man and woman, man and woman that were cursed, human beings. Genesis 3.17, cursed is the ground. Romans 8.22 in the New Testament confirms that says the whole creation groans and travails under the weight of sin. We're living in a cursed and fallen world. That's why bad things happen. But you see, one of the reasons I think we don't give adequate answers to people, and I certainly know my Christian friends, when I ask them this, they, they could not give me a satisfactory answer, is because we've been immunised to the horror of death. Because we've all been educated, we've all been exposed to this evolutionary idea that death is normal. You know, millions of years of death and suffering, something like that. Now, even for those that don't believe in evolution, I'd still say we've been kind of evolutionised into that view that death is normal. You see, here's the problem, and I've distilled it uh, through these pictures. There's two trees here, and these are really two worldviews. And I, I like trees because the Lord Jesus spoke a lot about trees and their fruit, didn't he? Now over on the right hand side you'll see the tree of Christianity. 
And you notice the good soil that is planted in, right? That's God's word is truth. See, everything you and I need to know about the Christian faith, our need for salvation, the nature of God, emanates from the belief that God's word is truth. Now, is it all truth or is it only the New Testament? Do we discard parts of it? See, there's a problem there because the reality is we either believe all of it or none of it because how do you know which parts to believe? And the tree on the left-hand side you can see there, the tree of humanism. And what is humanism? Well, humanism simply means man makes up his own rules about life. You can decide what you want to do with your own life. And how can you do that? Well, if evolution's true, there is no God, there is no creator, nobody made me, nobody owns me. And if that's the case, then you will see fruit in accordance with that worldview. You know, murder, racism, abortion. I mean, in grade 11 biology classes in this country, they've shown pictures of Haeckel's recapitulation theory, which says, while still in the womb, human beings are nothing more than evolved animals, a throwback to our evolutionary fish stage. See, so a lot of people would say, well, you know, creation evolution is just one of those problems represented by the fruit there. But I submit to you, ladies and gentlemen, they're actually not the problems. They're symptoms of an underlying problem. The problem is humanism with its roots in evolution. A different view of how the world came to be. If you subscribe to the Christian worldview, well, guess what? You'll see fruit in accordance with that. Mercy, love thy neighbour as thyself. Evolution can't give you a moral code like that if it's just death and struggle and survival of the fittest. And see, I've been, as I said, I've been doing this for 22 years and you know what I've come to learn? Re really, predominantly, that people's worldviews are made up by one major influencing factor, the belief about where you came from. Think about that. See, if you think that God is creator, the Bible's true, you will live your life in accordance with that premise. That's why you'll see fruit like that. But if evolution's true, and we're nothing more than just evolved animals, well, you know, I suppose we shouldn't be surprised if people act like it, right? By the way, do you realise this? What you believe about where you came from will also determine what you think happens to you when you die. Because if you've come from nothing, you're just going to go to nothing, right? But again, if the Bible's true, the decisions you make in this life are going to affect where you spend eternity. So you can see this is actually a foundational issue. And as I said, why do most people believe in evolution? Because that's all we've ever been taught, all we've ever been exposed to. I mean, could you get into your local library today and, and pick up a book on creation in the local library? <laughs> of course not. Switch on the TV tonight, watch a nature documentary, see, see a book on creation? Absolutely not. And so, folks, as a church, it's actually our job. The church's job, it's always been about men and women sharing the Christian faith, you know, starting with 12 men out of the Middle East, excuse me, about 2,000 years ago. But what's happened, you see, because many of us have adopted these ideas, even unwittingly some aspects of them, what's happening, instead of us being salt and light to the culture, we're, we're kind of getting salted by the church a little bit. You know, it's amazing. I don't know if any of you have been to the States and, you know, we're down in Atlanta, which they call, call it the Bible Belt. It's actually like being in a different country to the rest of America. And I'm not exaggerating, ladies and gentlemen, there, there are churches on every corner. I think I pass about seven on my 25-minute drive, just basically going down one road on the way to church. It's the heartland of the Southern Baptists. But see, they're in a crisis stage at the moment, as I'm going to show you. They're retreating. You know, America has more churches, more Christian radio stations, 
more Christian TV stations, more Christian schools and universities than any country on the planet. But I ask people when I go to churches, is America becoming more Christian or less Christian? Of course, what do you think they answer? Less Christian, absolutely. Because we feel intimidated. We don't have the answers that the people are asking. And that's again why we exist. See, if I'll just sum up evolution for you, it says we're nothing more than evolved pond scum. You can see it down there at the bottom. Millions of years of death and struggle and there's your average civilised Aussie at the top there, right? Something like that. <laughs> See, why do I caricature like? Well, we're really talking about two histories of how death came into the world. All right? And, of course, the potential to do those wrong things, evolution would say, well, that's just a throwback to our animal ancestry. You know, we're running around in the jungle swinging clubs and we just need to be more evolved and things will get better. Well, of course, we don't see them getting better. But you know what the Lord Jesus says, what the words of Scripture say? The potential to do those wrong things are in every one of us. Greed, murder, envy, all those things, because it's a heart condition, a spiritual condition. And where do we get that from? From the first man and woman. We go again back to the Bible's history. That's why we need a saviour, because there's absolutely nothing we can do to save ourselves. See, that view there is a non-Christian worldview. And a worldview is like a set of glasses or a framework or a filter through which you interpret all of your world. And I've already explained the major influencing factor of our worldview. And I'll give you an example. I, I can remember years ago. Uh, now, as I explained this, remember I wasn't a Christian. I was married. We had a couple of kids. And I was watching those terrible, terrible Ethiopian uh, famines in Africa. Do you remember those? Pictures of starving children. They were nothing more than skin and bone. And we were organising live aid concerts all around the world to go and feed the hungry in Africa. And I remember saying to my wife, because I was an evolutionist, I said, you know, what's the point? You know, they're obviously overpopulating. We're just throwing sort of money away, raising all this money, because it's just going to happen again in a few years. We should allow evolution, natural selection, as I understood it at the time, to occur and cull them and restore the balance. Now, what a terrible way to think. And I'm ashamed that I used to think like that. But could you see that was actually consistent with my evolutionary worldview? Now, what would be our motivation as Christians for going and feeding the starving hungry in Africa? Well, we get back to the Bible's history again. Guess what? If the Bible's true, aren't they made in the image of God? Aren't they human beings, just like you and I? The same human beings that when, when Jesus came to this earth and he healed the sick and he fed the hungry and he clothed the poor, what, what was he doing? He was reversing the effects of the curse. He was displaying God's love to fallen humanity. And that should be our example too. But this worldview, as I said, that's taught to the exclusion of all others is having a terrible effect on the church. And I'm sure some of you have heard of Barna Research, a Christian polling organisation in the States, very famous. Look at this, ladies and gentlemen. In a confidential survey of Christian teens, so these are kids that are in the church confidential so we're not even sure whether their parents were aware what their kids were thinking but Barna revealed that only one in three of them intended to continue attending church after they left home so they already made their minds up they were leaving and I mentioned the Southern Baptist look at this shocking statistic from their own website 88% of their kids are leaving the church so it's one of the reasons we moved to America because the church has been so dominant there and it's retreating and you know we, we just want to do our bit but why do children think like that? Well, have a look. Do you remember this guy? This, this was the Finnish high school massacre in 2007. This young man, before he went in and shot his fellow students, this is what he posted on YouTube. 
He says, life is just a coincidence, result of long process of evolution. There are no other universal laws other than the laws of nature, the laws of physics. Evolution is both a theory and a fact. Creationism is neither one. If you read down, he says, humans are just a species amongst other animals. Death is not a tragedy, happens all the time in nature, etc. Humanity is overrated. Man, what a cheerful message. <laughs> wow. See, he didn't think there was a God or a creator to be accountable to. So he just did whatever he did. He's obviously learnt differently now. And it all started, you know, this was in the closing chapter of Charles Darwin's famous book on the origin of species. He said, thus from the war of nature, from famine and death, the most exalted object which we are capable of conceiving, namely the production of higher animals, that's mankind, directly follows. That's it. That's the dominant view that is taught about human beings all over the world. It's why generally we abort unborn children in the womb, for example. Uh, this, my former boss, the CEO of uh, the Australian office, Carl Whelan, in a book, Signs of Design, he wrote this. He said, if Darwin was right, there is no ultimate meaning or purpose to life except what we choose. You're born, you suffer, you die, that's it. Perhaps if you're lucky, you may get recycled as organic manure, but beyond that, you're just a, a, a number that happened to come up in the great casino of the universe. And, you know, I've actually spoken in public schools and, and universities in the United States and even in South Africa, and that is exactly what most of our public uh, high school kids think today. That's it. And in this country, for example, you, where we actually have the second highest youth suicide rate out of all the developed nations on earth. You see, we're shown pictures like these, and they remain as an iconic image the geologic column, and the idea there is that all of these rock layers we see around the earth is a, is a record and a history of time and accumulation of these layers over millions and billions of years. And of course in those rock layers you're going to see fossils, and fossils are a record of dead things, you know, things that were once living and are now preserved in the rock layers. But see, there's a different view of that. If we take the Bible's history, we can account for the majority of that stuff from that global worldwide catastrophe which is called Noah's Flood. See, when we're talking about events in the past, ladies and gentlemen, and, and you, know, you hear the word evolution and science in the same section, I, I don't think that's correct. Don't be hoodwinked. Because when we're talking about the past, whether it's creation or evolution, we're in this area of, of historical science or origin science. When I use that word science, I'm sure for most of you it conveys the image of technology and you know, the great modern medical discoveries we've made, for example, operational or experimental science. If we have a closer look at it, operational science deals with experiments you can do in the present, repeat those experiments, and you can observe the results. That's the scientific method, if we can call it that. You know, if I wanted to test the theory of gravity today, I could take a nice running swan dive off the roof. I could do it in the present. I wouldn't be around to repeat it, of course, but uh, you folks can observe the results. But evolution is supposed to happen in the past, one time, and we don't see it happening today, do we? See, here's the issue. If we take the Bible's history as written, we understand here at the end of day six, you know, God looked down at all that he had made. He's finished creation. It was very good. Now, we need to understand very good doesn't sound that spectacular, but of course, language has changed. We might say, wow, it's wicked today, right? Or awesome or something stupid like that. But the creator of the universe just says it's very good. So you can believe it was pretty spectacular. It was perfect. But remember I said those rock layers that we see allegedly in the geologic column are supposed to represent millions of years of history with the fossils in. 
See, that, if that was happening for millions and millions of years before Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve would have been standing on this fossil graveyard, a record of death and pain and disease and suffering over millions of years, and then God looks down and says, yeah, that's very good. Isn't there a huge theological problem there? Does anybody here think death is good? Well, being in my home church, hopefully I can be frank with you this morning, I think death stinks. I know why it happens, but I'm not reconciled with it. Are any of us reconciled with it? So how is it normal? How is it natural? The New Testament confirms, always pointing back to Genesis, that famous passage in Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. See, it's our fault. Now I'm going to run through a few scriptures to confirm this. You know, in Genesis 1.29, God says to Adam and Eve, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the earth, whole earth, and every tree that has fruit in it, with, uh, with seed in it, they will be yours for food. We were originally vegetarians. You know what? So were the animals. So don't think just because you see, you know, these design or attack structures in creatures that that was originally how God created them. There was a change in creation, wasn't there? To every beast of the earth, to every fowl of the earth, to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. So the animals are vegetarian. And then death came. Death entered. God warned Adam and Eve from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat, of it, eat from it you will surely die. Now, of course, they didn't drop dead straight away, did they? But they eventually died. In fact, if you looked at the Hebrew, it kind of says, dying, dying, you will die. The process of death has begun. And the first death was not recorded in the Bible until God made uh, a, a garments for Adam and Eve's nakedness when they became self-aware. They, they did something wrong. What a calamity. What have we done? Now, for those of you who had uh, bacon this morning, that's all right. Don't feel guilty. Because after the flood, of course, God told Noah that we may now eat meat. And uh, creation scientists believe that a lot of protein-bearing plants at the time of the flood were probably destroyed. So you now eat meat to get your protein and your amino acids, right? But think about this, if death and bloodshed was occurring for millions of years before Adam, what do we do with New Testament passages like Hebrews 9.22 there? Without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. See, death, death would be nothing special. The death of our Saviour would be nothing special. The New Testament agrees, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through the one man. And for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as an Adam all die... Because of Adam, so in Christ all will be made alive. And we will see in this issue the glorious gospel revealed. And in this, ladies and gentlemen, that's why I think there are opportunities if we can answer this question. See, the, here's the gospel. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth perfect. The fall. And when God pronounced to the enemy, Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I'll greatly increase your pains in childbearing. And look again, immediately following, cursed is the ground because of you. That's why we get tsunamis and earthquakes. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. Bad things happen. See, why are they there? They should be a reminder, as I said, that something is wrong. But what do we do? We say, God, why? Why did, why did you allow that? Why, why does that happen? Why is life so hard? God, why did my sister die of cancer? 
Well, I'm pleased to say that as much as we struggled, that actually we never asked why. And you know why? It was because of this issue, because of this creation teaching that helped us understand. So just to recap, evolution says death is normal. In fact, that's, they claim that's what's led to mankind. We've all heard that story. But see, here's the gospel, as I said. You know, God created this perfect world. And we didn't need anything. It was all provided for us. And Adam and Eve, even though they knew their creator, they walked in the garden with him, they decided to live their life as if God didn't exist. Wow, that sounds like the world today, doesn't it? Living their life as if God doesn't exist. See, actually, that's what sin is. Lots of people have definitions of sin, but sin is rebellion from God, rebellion from your creator. So even though he created this perfect world and he gave us everything, and even though we turned his, our backs on him, he still sends a rescue mission from heaven to pay the penalty of death that was due you and me. Wow, and people want to know if God's a God of love. <laughs> Isn't that an incredible story of love? But see how it doesn't make sense until we go back to the beginning and explain the foundation of these things. Should we take Genesis literally? You know, if Genesis is not real, literal history, with a literal, very good creation, with a literal Adam and Eve, and if sin did not literally enter the world through their actions, you know what, folks? And you and I don't literally need to be saved from anything. <laughs> Who said the gospel was complicated? You know, even a child can understand that, and a child is meant to understand that because he can understand his or her potential for doing wrong things. We don't have to teach children how to be naughty, do we? <laughs> even they get it. But you know, this issue of why bad things happen. Yeah, the Lord Jesus was questioned about this. Let me give you a couple of examples. <clears throat> there was an episode here in Luke where Pilate was killing the Galileans and using their blood and mixing it in his sacrifices for his pagan gods. And the scripture records there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, unless you repent, you too will perish. I wonder sometimes how many times Christians we look at our brothers and sisters in the Lord and sometimes there's bad stuff happening and we, you know, let's be honest, we kind of sort of say, I wonder what's going on in their life for all that to happen. <laughs> We've done that. But you know, Lord Jesus here, he didn't actually answer the question why it happened. His warning was, you need to be saved because you don't know if this is going to happen to you. That was what his issue is. Why? Because we live in this cursed and fallen world. And then here it, there's a tower, Tower of Siloam. It fell and it crushed 18 people. And this is all those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. The Lord Jesus says, do you think they were more guilty than all the others in, living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will perish. That's the same message for us today, isn't it? Do you think those people sitting in a 72nd office tower in, in New York in the World Trade Center thought that an airplane was going to come through the window that morning? My goodness, unbelievable. See, we don't know when our lives will be taken. And I think what we do, do as Christians, uh, we somehow, somehow think we should sort of be a, a little bit immune from all of that. You know, we're special because we're saved. Why me? Why do the sinners prosper? Lord, I'm a Christian. How come all these bad people get away with stuff? 
Jeremiah had that question when he brought it before the Lord. He said, you are always righteous, Lord, when I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. (laughs) Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? Well, see, when we ask the question, why me? You know what we should really say? Why not me? Why not me? Because here, Matthew 5.45, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes the sun to rise on the evil, the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. The point there is we all share the same cursed planet. And guess what? We all share the blessings of God too. But you know what the difference is, Christians? You've been saved. That's the difference. What have you been saved from? You've been saved from an eternal death. See, Adam and Eve would have lived forever, wouldn't they? You realise that? They would have lived forever. So, in fact, in their sin, they would have been eternally separated from God. And so would we as their descendants. But when God actually brought the curse and death with it, he made a way that we can be reconciled back to our Creator if you believe in the one whom God sent. Actually, isn't that amazing that he did that? You see, because this origins issue and that issue I just mentioned, see, that that answers those three big questions, you know. Where do I come from? Why am I here? Where am I going to? That's why this is such an important issue. We're all on this planet living together. The Bible records... In Psalm, those who are far from you will perish. You destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Ladies and gentlemen, what did God do about all the death and suffering in the world? He sent Jesus. (laughs) Do you realise that's it? It's not a complicated message, a very simple message this morning. He sent Jesus, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. God did not send his Son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You have been saved from this destruction. You've been saved from this cursed and fallen world for eternity. That's the big picture. That's our Christian worldview. Use that as a set of glasses for interpreting the world around us. We understand there was a good creation, a corruption. It was marred, a catastrophe where God judged the world once. He's going to judge the world again in the future. He can do that because it's his creation. But the very reason Christ died that horrible, cruel death on a cross was because of what happened right there back at the beginning in the garden. The Bible says there's going to be a consummation, a restoration. What does it mean to restore something? Back to the way it was, doesn't it? So just think, if he used evolution, is he going to restore things back to millions of years of death and suffering? Well, we need to change glasses. We take the Bible's history, starting right there at the very first book. Yes, in spite of what everybody else thinks, in spite of that ruling paradigm out there of evolution and its alleged scientific view. Well, let me encourage you. You know, at CMI, we actually employ more scientists, to the best of my knowledge, than any any Christian ministry in the world. You've got staff here working in the office. Don left his career to come and work in this issue because he thought it was important. Laurel moved all the way from Western Australia, as we did, to come and work here because we want to teach people and make sure that they're wearing the right set of glasses. Remember I said Romans 8, 
We know that the whole creation groans and labours with birth pangs until now and we ourselves are groan, don't we? Eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Look what it says. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. We eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Isn't that amazing? promise that that can happen and ladies and gentlemen death is not normal it's not natural that's why you grieve the last enemy to be destroyed is death then the end will come when he will hand over the kingdom of God to the father after he has destroyed all dominion authority and power for he must reign until he has put all enemies at his feet and the last enemy is death And the new heavens and the new earth, we can see the fulfilment of this for eternity. Revelation 21, God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain. Why? The former things have passed away. And in the new Jerusalem, we read, there's the tree of life again. Did you you realize that? So maybe you have struggled with that first book and the amazing claim that God could have created the universe in six days and I was recently doing a Bible study in our home church in Atlanta and it was in Revelation and the pastor said, he was describing the new heavens and the new earth and he says, it sounds a bit hard to believe, doesn't it? And I'm going, no. And he says, why why don't you think it's hard to believe, Gary? I said, because he did it once before. Why is it hard for him to do it again? So do you believe that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth? Well, the reason there is is because this one is cursed. One of my favourite passages in Scripture, I always struggle when I read this out. I remember including this when I wrote an article about the terrible bushfires in Victoria some years ago when we were all shocked uh, by the, the breathtaking speed of those fires. But Job, my goodness, surely the most afflicted of all men. He lost his wife, his family, his wealth, being tested. And his friends were coming and saying, curse God and God die, have some satisfaction. And he whined and he complained, I know. But look what he said. And he, he hadn't seen his Redeemer. We have. But in faith he knew that God was creator, capable of restoring him. And he says, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth after my skin has been destroyed. Yet in my flesh I shall see God. And I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold, not another, my heart faints within me. And it does every time I read that. Remember, I started off with this. <laughs> I have told you these things so that you may have peace in this world. You will have trouble. There's a second part to that. But take heart. I have overcome the world. <laughs> I have overcome the world. My goodness, it's just awesome to think this incredible creator left his lofty reign and just became one of us. In Hebrews it says when you look at God, when you look at Jesus, he is the exact representation of his being. You want to know what God was like in the flesh? Look at Jesus. Look at the love. Look at the compassion. Look how he spoke with authority. Are we really going to take him at his word and all his promises? See, folks, our great commission is to go out and make disciples of others. You know what? We're only going to be here for a short while. (laughs) 
and I've spoken about eternity today and I believe that because God is creator. But here's the real message this morning. One of the things I've learnt in, in the US, even though there are churches on the corner, every corner, in the US it's actually very much a cultural thing just to go to church. You see it. Uh, very conservative in the South. Unlike Australia, we come in our shirts and T-shirts and shorts, sorry. In the States, we wear suits when we go to church, particularly in the South. And, you know, churches are large. I've been speaking in churches and two and a half, three thousand people. But you know what? I've really come to understand, I'm not sure if everybody's really saved in the church over there. Because it's just what they do. It's a cultural thing. And so when I go to the church, I actually end up having to really give a gospel message, like I've done today. And I want to challenge some of you, because maybe, maybe some of you have come with your wife or your husband because they're Christians and you've done that and maybe some of you young ones you've come along to church because your folks come along and maybe some of you have been struggling because of this death and suffering issue you know my mum and dad struggled when they lost their daughter my dad said it's not right I should go first I understand hopefully that's brought some closure to you today but let me just say, if you're sitting out there and you've just been coming to church, coming to church doesn't save you. 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Behold, now is the favourable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. I know that's not a cheerful thought, but that is the very reason Christ came, so if you put faith in him, you can be assured and have eternal security. I don't want you to sit there in pride and say, well, I don't want to do that. I, I don't want to make a decision. I don't want to confess that I need God. Well, the issue is you're going to stand before him whether you do that or not because <laughs> he's the creator. And if you don't know your creator, here's the issue. Remember I showed that picture with the world? See, he did all the work. There's nothing you have to do. All you have to do is repent that means change direction. Start living your life as if God does exist. Confess your sin. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I recognise my fallen state. Please forgive me. And you know what? You are guaranteed of an eternal security. And if you don't know that creator, come and see me. You don't have to be embarrassed. I'm, I'm off tomorrow. <laughs> you won't see me again for probably another few years. That's fine. Well, come and see Pastor David. Or talk to someone in your family. This is a serious issue, ladies and gentlemen, isn't it? So, but hopefully you've seen today, even touching on this difficult subject, you've seen the majesty, the glorious gospel of why God did what he did. We sang and our song leader shared that Jesus came to this earth to die this death for us. And on our website, you know, we have a whole section whole section on uh, this death and suffering issue on that topics button. You see the black bar, you click on the topics button. You might probably got other questions this morning. I haven't even dealt with them. You know, where did the races come from? What about dinosaurs? All those questions. I just dealt with one of them this morning. They're all answered on that website. 34 years worth of creation research all in one place and it's all free. And I know tons of you get Creation Magazine. I'm not going to labour you with that at the end but I just want to say if there was one resource you want to connect your family with to help particularly if you've got children it's our creation 
uh, magazine and there are some sign-up sheets out on the table and I know that uh, this Australian office has got some special, um, some special uh, offers for you. You get free DVDs if you sign up for three years, for example. You get our free newsletter. But let me just share a couple of resources with you this morning. There's a two DVD set out there. It's actually for the price of one DVD that I recorded in the States called Creation, Not Confusion. It's a basic introductory talk to this whole creation evolution issue, the book of Genesis. But we talk about a lot of those questions. What about eight men? What about radiocarbon dating, for example? How does that work? Does that prove millions of years? My specialist subject, alien abductions and UFOs. You know, uh, 2009... When one of our trips to the state, we got, we got to speak at Roswell. Anyone heard of Roswell? <laughs> Little town in the middle of the Mexican desert, unlike any other. You drive for hours in the middle of nowhere. It's like driving in the outback and you suddenly come across all these billboards with flying saucers and everything else. And even the McDonald's is built in the shape of a flying saucer there. <laughs> and you know, I'm the only Bible-believing young earth creationist ever to get the privilege, you can call it that, to speak there at their annual UFO convention. The town doubles in size every July 4 weekend as people go there looking for meaning and purpose. And man, we heard some disturbing things. A father telling his son in the museum, you know, don't worry, son, he says, they're here to save us, they're here to help us. All these competing isms and ideologies out there, ladies and gentlemen, that are targeting our, our children, our young ones. You know, we've got packs out there, some key books. I'm just trying to try to find a few for you. But there's one by uh, Dr. Carl Wheeland out there called Beyond the Shadows. If you know Carl's story, head on into a petrol tanker in the Aussie outback. He's had over 50 operations to rebuild his face and his body. Uh, still, obviously, uh, seriously damaged from that today. I did the foreword for this book. It's incredible. He says how understanding the big picture of creation helped him walk through the shadows. And his latest book is just the best book on race and culture and I tell you it's not a politically correct book it really deals with it heart to heart one human family and I, I would pray that this book will just become uh, an epic a classic and um, we've got other books out there I believe there's my book if you're interested Alien Intrusion this has actually just gone under sixth printing and there's a brand new chapter I've added because since it was first published in 2005 I've met hundreds of people who've claimed they've seen UFOs and, and have been abducted by aliens. Do you know polls show that 4 million Americans believe they've been abducted by aliens? What are you going to do about that? <laughs> and they really, you know, something's happening to them because not aliens. So there's a new hypothesis about what I think hap happens to them when they think they go on board a spaceship and weird stuff like that. And that's entailed in that new DVD there, Close Encounters of the Fourth Kind. And that's some of the subject matter there that the book deals with. So listen, I'm going to hang around here and um, have a cup of tea. I've got to speak in the second service. Hopefully my voice will last uh, for that. We had about two hours sleep last night. Poor old Don, he had to wait up till 3 a.m. before we came in. So I know many of you, uh, so many came up this morning and said, we've been praying for your voice. I don't know how you found out about that, but thank you for that. appreciate it because we're just about to start a two-week Australian tour. And Dr. Jonathan Safley is coming from the U.S. as well. So we'd appreciate your prayers on that. There's been a lot of advertising and we know when that happens, the sceptics are out there, the atheists are going to be there and often, as I found in the States, they actually turn up at our meetings with the sole purpose of just trying to silence us. This is a key issue, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully you've got a sense of that today just in this important issue of the gospel and why this stuff happens. God bless you. Thank you.
Thanks, Gary. It's been a real privilege to have you here this morning and um, we trust and pray that it goes well for you over the next couple of weeks. Um, so if you do have any, you want to talk to Gary, Pastor David, anyone in the church, make um, take that opportunity today and if you want to come forward for some prayer or to chat to someone, do that after the service. So let me invite you to stand singing a song called Blessed Be Your Name, remembering that 